Welcome to Life's Tea Time. I'm your host, Sam Schupenecker. In this podcast, I'm chatting with the people I meet on the journey competing in amateur golf. Today, I'm joined by my coach, Dan Gaucher. We chat about Dan's introduction to golf and his evolution as a coach. We touch on the art and technique of the golf swing. We do a little debrief on the 2022 U.S. Women's Mid-Am Championship where Dan was my caddy, and we talked through some of the things I'm struggling with in my game. I hope you enjoy this one. How did you get started with golf? Who, who influenced you? Who did you play golf with when you were younger? Golf and I didn't really have a choice but to be with each other here. So I grew up um, in Connecticut about 500 yards away from a golf course kind of thing. And my dad played, my grandfather played, my brother played, my friends played. So basically from day one, I, I grew up at a golf course. I was the kid that was getting dropped off in the morning while my dad would go to work. And then he'd pick me up on his way home. And I kind of just hung out there for better or worse sometimes, but I kind of just hung out there all day long. So really I didn't, I didn't know much else besides golf for a very long time. I played other sports and things like that, but it was never to the level or to the interest point that I've kind of always had with golf. So for me, it was kind of like, I just, I didn't have any other choice. Like this was, this was it. And I never wanted to do anything else either. So it was, you know, I've always enjoyed playing, always enjoyed competing. So for me, this was it. Like I kind of knew at an early stage, something with golf was, was going to be where I was heading. What other sports did you play? At some point in my life, a little bit of everything. How about that? Um, grew up, you know, the usual like soccer, basketball. At some point in college-ish, I got into like endurance sports where I was running. I was riding a bike a lot. I did some triathlons, uh, things like that. But again, always kind of like in the back of my mind, still playing golf and still, you know what I mean? I never really left it completely or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I've literally played, I've played hockey for a little bit at some point. Like I, I've tried all of it. I, I've tried. I wouldn't say I was good at it, but I've tried just about everything. I enjoy trying new things. How about that? New, new sports, new activities. I'm all for it. I feel I, my family was definitely the same way in that. I I would ride my bike to the golf course every single day basically with my one of my brothers who was just as serious about golf as I was. So we would spend the whole day at the golf during the summer we would spend the whole day at the golf course and I I miss those days quite a bit. Did you have any junior leagues or anything that you played in back then? So I was very lucky the course that was so close to my my house um really did have a good junior program. I wouldn't say it was a league or anything like that. So John Cody, who was one of our assistant professionals at the time, kind of took the five or six of us that were all buddies and would all show up at the same time every day. He kind of took us under his wing and and he'd give us daily competitions or he'd give us little challenges to go do and things like that all the time, mostly to kick us out of the pro shop and just say, like, get get out of my hair and go do something. <laughs> 
but he was he was great with it. I mean, he literally took the five of us under his wing, just said like, "Hey, today you guys are going to play these two versus these two, or you guys are going to play, you know, okay, you're going to play the red tees today, or you're going to, you know, you got to play a worst ball scramble or something like that within the four of you, and you know, things like that." So he did a a, a great job with that. So there was always something that we were playing with or playing for little, you know, my dad would probably kill me, but we probably racked up a huge lunch bill playing other, you know, 10 year old kids for lunch. <laughs> Never seen so many chicken fingers on a, <laughs> on a bill before, but no, I mean, kind of like the, the classic stuff like that, you know, I played the local, you know, section junior events and things like that and tried to qualify for bigger events and stuff like that as a kid. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there was always something for me to play and always something for me to do. We didn't have a driving range or anything like that at the course I grew up on either. So it was way more just play based, go out and, and go out on the golf course and figure it out out there kind of thing. I love that. I didn't know this about you until like two weeks ago, but you have some great mentors in your uh, that you've worked with throughout your professional career. I'm curious how you got introduced to them what was your mindset as you started your career and trying to build your skill set very blessed and very motivated i guess would be the two the two answers i have there very blessed from the standpoint of the first golf course that ever gave me an opportunity to just teach full time at Lyman Orchards in Connecticut just so happens to have the country's largest women's golf program so marissa kulig who is now an LPGA national teacher of the year, LPGA professional of the year really took me in and just said, Hey, shadow me, watch me teach these, these women's 101, 201 classes. And then once I'm comfortable, you're going to go teach them. So I shadowed her and one of her assistants as much as I possibly could that first year that they let me teach. And basically by three months in, she's like, all right, you're good. Go teach or be a second instructor. I learned through her and her system, the way she teaches, I learned how to make golf very simple to beginners. So incredibly blessed because golf and teaching golf is a very complex thing. And now I'm very much into the higher education side of it of like, okay, what's the physics of this? And what's, you know, what's the neuroscience say about what the brain is doing when somebody's hitting a golf ball. But for her to take me in and teach me like, here's the simplest way to teach the game of golf to a brand new female golfer who might be a little intimidated, never been on a golf course before, doesn't know what end of the golf club to hold. Like, here's how you take them from that to we're going to bring them out on the golf course to go play golf at the end of these five weeks classes. And before they start their next, you know, their 201. So Marissa was incredible with that. Like I said, I still use her format to this day when I do some of my beginner clinics and not even necessarily women's beginner clinics, but just beginner clinics and lessons and things like that. You know, I get a lot, a lot of lessons that are from long-term players of mine, but they're like, well, I have a friend who's never played golf before and, and wants to get into it. Or my wife or my husband wants to learn. So still to this day, I use basically her format to a T. There's a reason it works so well. Not only is she so good, but the, you know, the, the format that she uses is just, she's worked it out perfectly over the years. So very, very blessed when it, it comes to that. And the other piece would just be like how motivated I was when I first got into teaching full-time, probably 12 years ago now, 
young, no kids, just married kind of thing. So I kind of had all the time in the world to learn as much as I could and, and reach out to other people as much as I could. So I, like, I got hooked up with Kyle Morris uh, with the golf room everywhere, who's a Mike Bender guy. I had, uh, when I was at school down in Florida, I hung out at Mike Bender's driving range all the time. So I got to see him teach and things like that, not knowing that I wanted to be a teacher at the time. So now it works a lot better now. But through Kyle, you know, again, Kyle was probably the first one for me and Mike Bender's system. Like I said, they're one and the same. They were like the first ones that just kind of like clicked. Like I'd gone through the TPI stuff. I'd gone through like Mike Adams, you know, biomechanics training. I've done all these extra golf educations basically, but there is the first one where like the light really clicked like that aha of like how applicable every piece of this is. It makes sense from a physics and and mindset standpoint and every, so to this day, yeah, that's kind of still where my teaching background would come, but I was lucky enough and motivated enough that when opportunities came up early on, I just, I jumped right on them two feet, not really knowing exactly what it was or where it was going to take me, but very, very lucky from those, those standpoints. Where do you think that comes from? It's everything about the game of golf, I, I guess, that I really enjoy so much. I'm a people person. I like talking to people. I like hanging out with people. So to have somebody come through my door, you know, every hour for a lesson is like the great, I got a new person to talk to every hour. Like I wouldn't do well if I had to sit in a cubicle by myself. So for me, it was once I, once I found teaching, instead of like a club pro route kind of thing because I did not want to do that I was very frustrated with that side of the golf industry for a while but you know so for me it was just that I want to be the best at this because I'm clearly not going to be the best golfer in the world I didn't have that that skill in me but whatever it is I do I still want to be the best at it and to this day it's still you know that still holds true and I think that's part of the reason why I've tried so many sports, but I was never really stuck with them long enough because if I didn't see a route to being the best at it, it didn't seem enticing to me. Like if I just, if I couldn't keep progressing up that ladder and at some point it's like, yeah, but running's just fun. Like, well, running's not fun for anybody, you know, but <laughs> if I thought I could be the best runner in the world, like I'd suck up those, those, you know, crappy days and I'd still, still go right. Like, a bad day of teaching golf is still like the greatest job on earth. So it's, um, it's very easy to kind of keep trying to move up that ladder and get better and better at it and continuously work towards that. So. Yeah. I feel like you just summed up my motivation to play golf. (laughs) Uh, I have a bunch of friends from college and high school who I couldn't get to go to the range with me during those times, um, even if I paid them. And now they're all picking up golf. And I'm just curious from the work you've done with beginners, like where would one start? Let's pretend they've already been to the golf course and are playing around quite a bit. First, I think once you're beyond the point of like, okay, I can hit a golf ball, it gets up in the air. I think next is just the understanding of why a golf ball does what it does. Why does a ball curve to the right or the left? Or why does it go low or high? Once you can form that connection with a player's brain, 
their body can almost start to pick up on like some cues of like, okay, well, this is why the golf ball did this. I clearly have to do a 180 in the opposite direction to make the ball do something else. Right. I think, especially with the older, I don't want to say older demographic, but like college age, you know, things like that. If you can start to get them to understand, okay, gear effect, if you hit the ball, you know, on the heel of the club face, it's probably going to peel off to the right for a right-handed golfer, like things like that. So if you can start to get them to understand, then it's much easier for them to kind of form that connection and start to say, okay, well, that wasn't good. Here's what I'm going to try instead without seeing a golf swing or anything like that. and being able to say, Hey, here's like the number one thing you have to do. That's where I would start. Basically it's like, you have to, you have to have the understanding first before you can really like make the, the change of like a pattern change, you know? If you see their swing, you can make pattern changes, but they tend to last longer if they have the understanding of the how, the why, and where they're heading kind of thing. Yeah, that's not the answer I was expecting. So really, (laughs) but it, it, it makes complete sense to me. I mean, I think we tend to overemphasize the technical. Uh, Do you find that? Uh, So for me, one of my mentors, Tom Patry, again, very blessed, I guess, to be in the right place at the right time with him. He basically talks about how instructors fall into like two camps and then whatever instructor can fall into both camps is going to be like the greatest thing on earth. In the instruction world right now, there's either like mechanics who are the guys who just get in there. It's nuts and bolts. They're fixing golf swings from nine to five every day. And then there's these on course guys, the vision 54 ladies and things like that, you know, that are way less mechanics based and way more like artist based to here's how we get the ball in the hole quickly, even if you don't have a good golf swing and things like that. So yeah, it's kind of like, it depends who you talk to, I guess, right. Of which, which route they're going to go for me. Who else has said it? Uh, there's a podcast, subpar podcast with Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz, I believe it is. They interviewed Bones, Jim McKay, Justin Thomas's caddy, Phil's old caddy. And they're talking about Tiger. And they basically said, you know, when you look at tour players, you have two types of tour players. You have artists and then you just have like the mechanics, right? So it's kind of the same thing as, as teaching. He goes, Tiger Woods is the first guy to just be the best at both of them. Right. And that's why Tiger just arguably the best ever to do it is he kind of took that that mold and made it both. So I think golf instruction has to head in that in that model too of like it's great to be an instructor who's just a mechanic and can talk about angles of a shaft and why they have to be where they are. But I think it's also just as important to take that same player of like, okay, we got to go out on the golf course, whether you have your swinger or not, we still have to go out on the golf course and figure out how to get the golf ball in the hole and what's your strategy to play your way around the course. So, you know, for me, that's why I prefer it to be called coaching than instructing or, you know, teaching or anything like that, just because coaching is a little bit more like all encompassing, I guess you'd say. So, I mean, like you're a perfect example, right? Like we go out on the golf course, probably just as much, if not more than we sit on a driving range, especially now at this point, you know, we kind of know what your swing looks like. We know what your tendencies are. So now it's time to figure out, you know, how do we bury the bad habits out on the golf course and only elevate the good things that we have. So 
I think it has to be a little bit of both. Yeah, this is a great rabbit hole and one I had planned to go down. I don't think I've talked to you about this at all, but last year, uh, maybe we can give some background. I reached out to you, I think, 2021, uh, and I emailed you and said that I wanted to, my goal was to shoot on your par at some some point in that year. We started off with some swing things and worked on those for a bit. We also worked a lot on the ch- chipping, the wedges. There was a point where I couldn't hit my wedges at all, and we worked through that. And then just on a whim, I decided to sign up for to quali- try to qualify for the U.S. Mid-Am at Berkeley Hall, and I made it <laughs> somehow. And then in between the qualifier and the actual tournament, I think I had like a little over a month, I started writing about my journey every single day. So I journaled every single day. And as a part of that, I actually posted my journals onto this alumni community that I was a part of, where that's a very typical thing to do. So as a part of that, I had to, I was consuming a lot of golf information just so I would have content to write about every single day. I read Be a Player by Pia Nielsen and Lynn Marriott. And I think single-handedly that like elevated my game dramatically (laughs) without without too much technical stuff going on. Yeah. I remember going to you. There was a point right before the the mid-am, I came to you for a lesson, but I was hitting the ball better than I've ever hit it before. And I was like, do I cancel this lesson? Like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. Like, there's nothing (laughs) technically that I want to work on. Basically, we talked about the windows and getting a stock shot. For some reason, I, I had already knew the principles behind that, but I hadn't practiced that type of thing in probably since college. It opened up a whole different view of my golf swing and how I was going about it. I guess, can you talk a little bit about like the artist part of the game and maybe how like the idea of the stock shot and being able to, to me, it's really being able to navigate your way around a golf course, no matter what swing shows up that day. Yeah. So again, the stock shot comes from Mike Bender, Kyle Morris. They they kind of preach this till no end. Basically, pick one ball flight and just live and die by it. And so there there's a little bit of artistry within that as well, even of, okay, well, what is that ball flight and how well can I control that same window even when things aren't aren't going well? Can I still count on that same same shape? When we're talking stock shot. This is me personally. Irons are almost a, a, always a draw. And with a modern driver, it's maybe like a two-yard draw kind of thing. There's not much curvature in a, in a driver nowadays. To be able to take out a stock shot and just go out no matter what the day is and no matter how I'm playing, I kind of know I have that shot in, in, the, in my back pocket. Like that one's so ingrained. If I turn everything off, if I just dive into my target or whatever it is, like that stock shot's just going to show up. Like it, it's... It's always the default system that I operate on, right? For me, the artistry is on a good day, 
well, what other shots do I have? And can I utilize them to go really low, right? That's like a game, like, let's see what we got. And hopefully those are the days that show up during tournaments. Unfortunately, that's not always the way it works. And usually it's almost the exact opposite, but those are the ones where like you're out playing by yourself at night and you're like, I've got every shot I could ever imagine. Then it also becomes, okay, now I'm in a tournament situation. I clearly do not have those shots. Can I still put up a good enough score to keep me in contention just hitting that stock shot everywhere? So for me with that stock draw, when that pins three paces off the right, okay, well, that's not my that's not my green light pin. I'm going to draw this off that flag and I'm going to give myself a 20, 30 footer for a birdie instead of like, I'm trying to hit this to a foot. So going into kind of like the decade stuff that I know we've talked about too, of, of kind of picking those smart targets basically, as opposed to just firing at everything. I always tell people like good golf should be boring. Like you should be bored out of your mind when you're playing good golf because it's just point and shoot. Building in that stock shot makes even bad rounds a little bit boring because I know what, what's going to happen. I know where the golf ball is going to go, right? I know for me, it's always going to curve to the left, okay? So I can kind of start game planning my way around a golf course based on that one shot. Now, if I show up and I have a day where I do have that A game, like everything's fair game and there's not a pin I'm thinking about how can I get it close to. But when you build in that stock shot, what really you can do that's really good is you could have your C and D game and all of a sudden you're like, I still shot like one worse than I would have with my A game all of a sudden, right? Because you're putting yourselves in good situations. I might change my mindset for the day of like what I'm really trying to do and and hopefully just make a couple of 20 footers that, that I get lucky on. And all of a sudden the score is just as good of when I had my A game, you know what I mean? So I think that's something, again, that the better the player gets, the more they just have that go-to reliable, you know, shot. Like tour pros talk about this, like go-to driver, right? Like when they need to get a driver in play, they tee it down really low and they hit this little like punch cut kind of thing, right? Like that's their fail safe. That's our operating system that they know they can go back to. And it's going to be there no matter how bad a day they're kind of having. For me as a coach and as an instructor, that's where we're trying to progress every player we work with. And in your case, it just so happened that we, we'd been working together for a little bit, but not a, a super long time when that situation came up. So it was the same thing. Like, yeah, we're not going to change any patterns at this point. Like you're going into the biggest tournament of your life. Let's not, <laughs> let's, let's not go crazy and, and change anything here, but let's get you in the mindset of like, okay, what ball flight do I know I can go in counting on? Because especially those first few tournaments, like it's nerve wracking. Like you don't know anybody yet. You know what I mean? Now you're a superstar in that, in that world. But you know, when you don't know anybody, you think everybody's better than you. You don't think you belong there. It's a very nerve wracking world. Tournament golf can, can really mess with you. I might be like the prime example of that. I still haven't quite figured out tournament golf, but you know, having that fail safe of like, okay, you know what? I'm super nervous. Let me just tee the thing down and hit that little cut. Or, you know, for me, let me just sling in a draw somewhere for those first few holes, get my feet wet, get into my, you know, get into my rhythm. You know, that can really change a mindset of where, where you're, that round's going to head very quickly when you can kind of just have that fail safe that you could always go back to. So. Yeah, it's great that you say that. I, 
I had like maybe two days of overwhelm after that lesson, but then I figured (laughs) out like it was just so different from what I was used to that I just Mm -hmm. needed to get used to it again. And I actually ended up feeling so confident about my game. Maybe too confident because I'm like, oh, I can (laughs) now I can hit a cut and I can draw. But I ended up, you know, that was when I ended up shooting my 66 lowest round ever first time breaking par. I think I had another week before the mid-am itself and was feeling really confident. But you show up at the mid-am just like you said, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, do I remember how to stand on a range like (laughs) (laughs) and uh you've never been so nervous to pick out a spot on a driving range before right like usually it's just wherever there's an open spot you go (laughs) i learned a lot in that first mid-am experience uh my short game that course had such difficult greens and i knew going into that 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 was my weakness and uh i mean i i showed up confident but I guess I'm not surprised. I don't know. Somebody can (laughs) analyze me later. That tournament was more of like, okay, I did it. I know, I know what I need to work on. I know what the good players are doing. And that was a great experience. The new goal for this year was between you and me was no three putts around without three putts. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't think that was possible for me. Uh, I did end up doing it though. I I thought about it. I I shot a 65 this year with no three putts. We haven't focused on the swing too much. We had a putting lesson, which changed my putting game, honestly. I mean, all. <laughs> do you remember that lesson at all? I, I remember that one vividly. All right. <laughs> all right. Why, don't, why don't you? We had to do a 180 of thought processing <laughs> for that. We started out um, with some aim, didn't we? Yes. Yep. We were just seeing like, you know, I watched the stroke. I'm like, all right, it's not great, but it wasn't like, oh my goodness, you know, overhaul everything, right? Like we've got to go whatever. So we brought you down to the studio. We threw a mirror on the putter, threw a laser on it. And we're like, Sam's aiming seven inches left or something like that. I think it was four, anyway, it wasn't but close. I'm sure it I've aimed seven close. inches left before. <laughs> it wasn't close. But I mean, but here's the best part is to your perspective at that point where your eyes were and the putter and things that you were using, like your system that you had built in place, your operating system that I always talk about, right? Like you thought you were aimed dead center of the hole every time. You know what I mean? Like you thought you had this dialed in. So just by getting you set up a little different, right? I think we changed posture a little bit. Again, for a good player, like you're already an accomplished player up to this, up to that point too. Like it wasn't anything groundbreaking technique wise per se. It was more like, okay, let's get you aimed where you actually think you're aimed. Let's maybe dive into a little bit of aim point. We did like a super basic aim point uh, situation. Again, more so just to reconfirm. So I talk about like that artistry side of things too. Like for me, everybody's like aim point so mechanical and it's so, you know, technical and all this. I was like, aim point does nothing but paint a picture for your brain to grasp. Okay, here's what I want this golf ball to do. So I actually look at aim point as like one of the most artistic things in golf, right? Because even if you don't know exactly what you're doing with it, like if you go down and you feel with your feet, you're reconfirming what your eyes see. So you're painting a better image for your brain and for your eyes of like, here's what I think the golf ball is going to do. 
right? So if nothing else, it just like when you pick a spot or whatever it is, or you you visualize what the putt's going to do, like aim point does nothing but just reconfirm exactly what it is you thought already, or it makes you take a step back and think, you know, constructively about this of like, maybe I should look at this from another, another vantage point. Like maybe I need, maybe I'm not doing this right. But yeah, so I think, and then we just talked about like, what's your process to get into the putt, right? Like how do you step into a putt? Is it right hand on the club first? Is it aligning the face first? Is it, you know, left hand first? Things like that all play a role in making sure that that operating system is is running exactly the way we want it to, right? And then that way too, under pressure, you know, when you are at the U.S. Women's Mid Am, it's like hopefully that that's already locked and loaded, right? Like you already know that 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 system is there. I don't have to think about okay, right hand first, then get my left shoulder closed. Oh wait, I forgot to aim the putter. You know what I mean? Like hopefully that's just point shoot score at that point, you know. So yeah, that putting lesson was was way less technical and way more like, okay, let's get you aimed correctly, and then let's just talk about how we we visualize this putt and how we get this putt to get in the hole sooner. Here's the thing I've been thinking about a lot is like before I met with you, let's say I did a couple months of really deep putting work on my own mm-hmm. and imagine doing that aiming the putter head four inches left every single time and wondering like maybe being confused about why you're missing putts so like getting aim right first and the same thing with green readings if you're not reading the green correctly it doesn't matter what stroke you put on it Yeah. yeah i really that immediately right after that lesson i went out and played albany country club which has really crazy greens and greens i played in college and i struggled with and i was making everything i didn't even swing that well and i had my lowest round ever there i'm pretty sure and you know beat the entire field (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) except for one one senior senior male but uh uh, I think I want to talk about that I missed qualifying for the U.S. Mid-Am by two strokes this year. And I was the first alternate. I did not think I was going to get in. You know, I scheduled work meetings over <laughs> the, the the tournament date. And then two days before the tournament, they called me and said I was in. I, I mean, I knew I had to say yes, but I was really scared and nervous about how I was going to get there and all the things. Uh, and it ended up that you came down and caddied for me, and I greatly appreciate it. It's really awesome that you got a firsthand look at how what I'm actually like in tournaments and what happens. One, first off, I'm just curious, like, uh, what was the caddy experience like for you in that tournament? Oh, it was brutal. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so it was one of those no-brainers. Like, you sent me a text. You're like, hey, I got in. I said, oh, cool. Well, if you need a place to stay, like, it just so happens. My dad lives in Fort Myers. I can give you a place to stay. I was like, but what course was it at again? I don't remember, you know? He said, fiddlesticks. I said, well, it just so happens I played fiddlesticks a hundred times in my life. It is a hundred feet 
across the street from where my dad lives. So I knew I had to go. Like it was, it was a no brainer. And then to that point too, it was, it was exactly that. I know you have the talent to play far beyond where you play essentially. Um, You know, like I see those 66s and 65s that you, you send me messages all excited about. And I'm like, yeah, but I think we could do this like way more often. You know, like when I watch you hit golf balls, I'm envious of the way you hit a golf ball. We'll put it that way. Right. (laughs) So for me, it was like, this is just a great way to get down there, help you out one, but also just see like, what's your game like and what level is everybody else playing at down there too? Like, do I just have these delusions of like how good Sam actually is or like, can she really compete? Um, for me, it was a no-brainer to, to fly down and, and caddy for you. I guess, do you want to get into what I what I see, what I saw? What First, I just want to point out that I, I noticed this afterwards, but while you were caddying for me, there was a, I was like, I think Dan is more confident in my game than I am. I think I'm a confident person, but it's maybe I'm not as much. Well, so, and this is what I tell all my, my better players, especially the ones that are like trying to play for a living and stuff is like, I don't want you to be confident in your golf game. I want you to be cocky about it. Like, and there is a difference, right? Like, I want you to be so sure of yourself that you don't like when you show up, you don't think there's anybody there that should even be playing on the same golf course as you. That's how good you are. Like, you're just so much better than them. And here's the thing. There's a time and a place to be that cocky, right? And it's inside the ropes, obviously, right? So like once we step foot inside the driving range ropes there, it's like, that's when it should be like, you know what? Like these girls aren't half as good as I am. We can talk about it that night of like, oh man, that girl's really good. But like inside those ropes, there's got to be a switch that flips and you're just like, like there's a difference. You know what I mean? we didn't have the best first day. And I think that was a little bit, both of us feeling each other out of like, like how much do I just let Sam just be Sam and I'm just here to carry a bag and and observe or, you know, how much is it of like, no second round, a little bit of like, I don't even have to tell you a yardage. Here's the club, just point and shoot. And I kind of worked a little bit too, to like, like you said, to, to your point, you know, a little bit of like, you're kind of just like, I guess this is the right club. He knows this is the right club. He knows this is the right shot, you know? And we kind of just went with that for a little while. And we we kind of had it grooving pretty good for a little bit there. Maybe a few putts could have fallen that would have really changed some things that second day. Like we could have really had a day the second day. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, for me, it's always fun to see players, especially, you know, my my better players, like in those situations of like – yeah, when Sam and I go play nine holes of golf, you know, on a Wednesday night or something, like we're joking, we're having a good time. It's it's serious. We want to play well, obviously, but at the end of the day, it's it is what it is, right? Where like when you get in a situation like that, it's like, oh man, like we 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 have a chance to win this, you know, like we're we're good enough to win this, and that's kind of what I see from your point of view. Is like I think you, every physical attribute is there to win a big event like that, maybe one or two shots aside that we still have to work on. But yeah, I mean, from that point, I think it's, we've got to get you to a a point where it's like mentally, you're just, you're so confident and so cocky when you're inside the ropes that it's like point shoot score, right? Like I know I'm good enough to do this. I know I can, you know, I know I can put up 65 
in a U.S. women's mid-am, you know, let alone at, at your home course, you know, whenever. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm cur- there are definitely some shots that I need to work on from your perspective. Uh, what are the top, top things? Uh, and this is, this isn't just you, this is true for anybody who's a really good golfer, but struggling to make that like next big step. And it's a hundred yards and in, and that includes putting obviously, but a hundred yards and in rarely is like the driver, the difference between players at that level, you know, unless you like have a Rory McIlroy who just drives it like that much better than everybody else. But rarely is that going to be like your big definitive difference. I actually think, especially within our group, I mean, you drove it and, you know, hit your approach shots, you know, irons, full swing irons way better than anybody that we were, we were grouped with. Right. But it was those hundred yards and in that kind of make the difference. So when you do miss a green or when you do, you know, maybe not have the best drive in the world. How do you still get out of there with a par at worst, bogey at worst, and hopefully just get rid of all the really big numbers. So managing that side of things becomes where that next like big leap comes from, right? Like again, Mike Bender, especially is, is huge on this. I mean, he has like the full dedicated wedge range at his facilities where it's all hundred yards and in, and he puts these little cement blocks out every 10 yards and you try and land them on the blocks and things like that. And it's a little crazy to me how good good players are at that i mean so if there's 10 targets i mean like zach johnson austin Treslow, like his his top tier guys like i mean it's taking him like 15 golf balls to land one golf ball on every single block you know where i'm like i could sit there with three buckets and maybe come close to all 10 you know like these guys are are so dialed in from from that 100 yards and in that it's like okay i'm gonna land this within three feet of of my my actual target, right? So that's where the biggest jump for me is. It's not distance. It's not things like that. It's all hundred yards and in. So short game, putting, and then wedging, obviously. Yeah. Well, from my perspective, obviously, Sam, we can probably do a whole episode on bunker play. <laughs> uh, but I, again, I knew that was uh, going to be a weakness coming in. And what, what actually ha- I had planned to work on it quite a bit once I got down there and in the practice round, I threw a bunch of balls in the bunker and I did fine. <laughs> and then <laughs> before the, before the um, actual rounds, I put a couple balls in the bunker and I was fine. And then, but of course I know that if I expect at this level to like be able to know how to hit different uh, distance of bunkers and know how it's going to react and know how how to feel through the swing and I didn't have anything like that going into it if you're in a pressure situation that's just not going to hold up right I I know enough to know that <laughs> that's exactly it right yeah well but what you also can do though in some of those situations and we started to do it a little bit the second round we kind of game plan around those weaknesses and whether I tell you or, or not, you know, but this is something you could do ahead of time too, of like when it, when the lights are on and it's time to go play golf, like how can you just hide every weakness you have? You know what I mean? That to me, that's a huge piece too, of just like, how can you, how can you put that so far away that like, I'm going to play good, but if there's a bunker short, I might take a little bit extra. I might add a little something here just to make sure that I hide that, that weakness basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, a couple things, like I felt like my wet, my wedges, like 50 to a hundred yards are usually pretty good. And 
under pressure, they did not hold up. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that, but that was a little disappointing to me. And then chipping as well. I'm, I'm usually streaky with my chipping in that I, I'll have a really good day. Like the whole day, the chipping's good. And then the whole day, the chipping's bad. And in that instance, I mean, really, I didn't chip that much until the second nine of the second round. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, and then putting, I mean, there's definitely more work to go on in the putting. Where do you yeah. feel like we need to go next with the putting? For for you, putting-wise, I think we are... Uh... We're at the point now where it's we've we've got to build in a speed system as well. So we kind of have our aiming routine and, and everything like that. So now we've got to build in your your system for adjusting, especially like you go to an event like that, like the greens are clearly a little bit faster, smoother, you know, whatever it is. So building in that that fail safe system for speed control basically too. That becomes your next big step for for putting. Because again, it wasn't it wasn't poor lines. It wasn't poor reads. It was just some putts you'd leave four feet short. Some putts, some putts you hit four feet by, right? Like the ones that we miss, we're missing on, on edges and lips. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about those, but it's the, it's the leaving yourself. Okay. You hit the green or let's say you miss the green and now you've got 10 feet for par. And then you got four feet for bogey. Like all of a sudden now we're staring double in the face. Like that's a very nerve wracking place to put your mental status in. So like I said, you know, boring golf is good golf. So for me, it's, it's never putting yourself in a situation where your brain has to wander into bogeys don't hurt me, but if I'd make double here, I'm in trouble, right? Like mentally there's a completely different spot you're in between trying, you know, tapping in for a bogey and having a five footer for a bogey. There's a huge difference mentally between those two. One you have to make, (laughs) And one, you're like, I already know I'm going to make it, right? Does that make sense? Yep. I'm curious because I feel like I've put so much work on the speed. This this is going to translate to the sand game as well. I've put a ton of work in myself and consumed a lot of information on it. I'm wondering when someone just needs outside help. Ever since the mid-am, which has been, I don't know, a month has it been a month or mm-hmm. a few weeks? Close, yeah. I've been working on bunkers a lot and I feel like I'm getting absolutely nowhere. So when is it time to bring someone else in and get to work? Or do I have bad expectations about how long it takes to get a speed system in place? No, we'll put it this way. Like there's a reason tour pros have coaches that basically follow them around the country now. Like it used to be coaches used to just show up to a handful of events, but now it's like coaches follow them everywhere. And it's not that they, you know, it's not like the tour player doesn't know what they're doing, but it's, it's that, that sounding board of helping you figure out that system. Right. Cause what you think you do isn't always necessarily what you do, right? Like the video camera proves that obviously, like every time I I give a lesson and we videotape something, right? What you think you do isn't always necessarily what you do. So what you think your system might be, and then we go out and watch you play in a big event like that. I'm like, that's not what you do at all. You know what I mean? So it's never a bad idea to have a coach that you can at least call. Like we might only have a handful of lessons every year together, but that doesn't mean that we're not playing golf 
together. That doesn't mean that we're not texting back and forth with ideas and thoughts of like, hey, here's what I think I need to be doing, right? Or like the bunker videos you just posted up there for me, right? Like that's like perfect example. Like I have something really good I'm actually sending back to you to today <laughs> for for your bunker stuff. Because again, like it, it was really interesting to me, the notes that you took. Like I encourage every player to do this of like post a video on your account. So we have these accounts where every player has ability to post videos, take notes of themselves, um, whatever it is. And I call it like a library of feels, right? So what was really interesting to me is the notes that you took, because now we now we have a starting point of where, what we can talk about and what we can do. Because if we don't have that open conversation, you can dive down a rabbit hole of like, there's 150 things you could try in a bunker to make them work. But now we have this roadmap of like, okay, I know where Sam's brain is. I know what the physics say we need to do to get a golf ball out of the bunker in the right way. How do we get the two of them to match up so that you can be on this, this pathway that's moving up instead of like, well, I tried it, it worked for a day and then I lost it. And then I tried something else, it worked for a day. You know, like you say, streaky chipping. A lot of times that's just not having the correct fail safe set in place because everybody's timing can get good for a day. But those fail safes, when you have those, like even your bad chipping days are good chipping days, right? Like even your bad bunker days are good bunker days. So like I said, to me, that's more where we're where we're heading. It's just building in layer upon layer of fail safe. So like, okay, the D game is even par, right? Like that's that's what we're shooting for. But we have to build those systems in place and build those orders of operations so that they're just always there. Yeah, I did that purposely because I knew if I couldn't figure it out on my own. It had to be my mental thought process. So there you go. All right. Awesome. I want to let you go. We're over time, but I feel, I feel like we, I could have gone on for another two hours with you. I appreciate everything, all the help, the caddying. Uh, Thank you to the whole Gaucher family. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Anytime, Sam. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan. I had a million things I wanted to talk about and feel like we only touched the surface for most of them. Maybe I can get Dan back on when I've improved my short game. Thanks for listening.